Welcome to the Recovery Stories Podcast, bringing you stories of hope, healing, and triumph over the bondage of addictions, mental health struggles, trauma, and dysfunctional family systems. Our courageous storytellers have chosen to live their journey out loud in order to show others that they don't have to suffer in silence. The stories you will hear are raw, real, and may involve graphic and triggering content. This podcast is brought to you by Promises Behavioral Health's Rooted Alumni Community. If you or a loved one are struggling, have questions, or are ready to take the next step, call our admission center at 877-351-7504 or visit us online at www.promisesbehavioralhealth.com. Our team is ready and waiting to answer the call for help. This is the Recovery Stories Podcast, and I'm your host, Patrick Custer. I'm so glad that you've tuned in with us today and hope you stick around to the end of this episode to find encouragement and hope through this story. And uh, with that, I'm going to bring in our, uh, our guest for, for this hour. It is uh, Jerrica W. from uh, Nashville, Tennessee. She is a longtime a uh, friend and recovering person, and I'm so excited to have her with us. She's got a story that is very touching and meaningful, transformational, and um, I can't wait for her to share with y'all. Hey, Jerrica. Hey. Thanks for being on today. Thank you. Um, so I, real quick, before we start, I just wanted to mention something, um, you know, while we have anybody listening. Um, you know, everybody's stressed out right now. And I think it was your mom I was talking to about, Hey, how are you doing? She said, well, somewhere between, um, freaking out that I'm going to die and feeling like this is all too extreme and everybody's overreacting. And I said, you know, it's so interesting because I feel like most of us in adulthood right now are, are vacillating between those two extremes. And um, for a normal person who doesn't um, suffer with, you know, uh, these unhealthy coping mechanisms like many of us do, um, it is definitely unsettling. But then, you know, we've got uh, people in our our realm that uh, deal with a little bit more. Um, it can be quite, quite, a, quite rough. So... With that, I just kind of wanted to pull up something that that we posted. I did not write this, nor anybody related to me, but uh, it was a good resource, and I wanted to share it. So we talk about in recovery, uh, you know, the Serenity Prayer talks about, uh, you know, God give me the strength uh, to change what I can and to let go of the things that I can't. And so somebody posted this really cool graphic that <laughs> that talks about during the coronavirus the things I cannot control. If others will follow the rules of social distancing, the actions of others, predicting what will happen, other people's motives. That's a really good one. I've heard a bunch of people hopping on that train. Um, How others will react, how long this will last, and my personal favorite, the amount of toilet paper at the store. Um, you know, and then in the inner circle, it says, uh, the things I can control. And this is, you know, obviously what we're encouraging people to focus on my positive attitude, how I will follow the CDC recommendations, my own social distancing, turning off the news. That's my favorite for this circle. Um, finding fun things to do at home, 
and my kindness and grace. And I think those are all such great suggestions. Um, but I'm just curious, are there any that like a one in each category to, that stick out to you there? So one that's not on the list um, under I cannot control is how much meat is in the um, uh, the grocery stores. <laughs> that is one that I've run into that I that really frustrates me. But I guess um, so I just need to let that go. Um, but also along with that is what others are doing. Um, I know what I'm doing and I know I'm not necessarily following the guidelines, but um to the extreme, I guess. Um, but, you know, for instance, touching my face. Um, and then what I can control is um, doing things from the house, like taking advantage of this time of being home. Um, yesterday, I, I cut my grass, like, you know, like doing things that need to be done and um, just around here. So the fun yeah, things, yeah. I guess. That's good. I like that. Cool. Well, um, all right. Well, I hope that 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 little exercise, you know, inspired somebody because it's important. I think we should all do it every day because we'll if we don't have something, if we don't take control of our motives right now and our intentions, um, the world and the is going to do it for us. So um, anyway, with that, listen, I am so happy to have you here. I've, I've heard your story before, but I appreciate hearing it every time and um, I'm so glad for the people that are going to get to hear it for the first time today and on replay watching this later so um, <laughs> I'll turn it over to you all right thank you Patrick um, so I'm Jerrica I'm an alcoholic um, drugs are a part of my story but I found my solution in Alcoholics Anonymous um, so I'll tell you what it was like what happened and what it's like now um, so I was born the youngest in a family of five. Um, I had two older brothers. Uh, one was two years older than me. The other one was 10, uh, 12 years older than me. And I was um, born in Georgia. And I moved here to Tennessee um, and when I was eight years old. But my childhood when we were in Georgia was like any other childhood, I feel like. Um, I, to be honest with you, I've blocked out a lot of it, and I'm trying to regain a lot of those memories um, through therapy currently. But um, when I was, I remember like even in kindergarten, I was just very, um, never wanted to do what everybody else was doing. So I was always just on my own timetable. Um, so if everybody was like, watching a movie, I was trying to play house, or if they were napping, then, you know, I wanted to watch a movie, you know, like I was always just doing what I wanted to do. And, um, and unfortunately, I'm still like that today. <laughs> um, and maybe that's something I need to really take a look at. But so I was always just, you know, just a little off a little different. And um, when I was in the second grade, well, back up when I was I guess in the first or second grade, my oldest brother um, died in a car accident. And um, really didn't want to cry. Um, so like I do best, stuff my emotions down. Um, no, but I, all I remember from that 
um, when we found out that he had died. Um, I remember like my parents crying and I just grabbed him and I'm like, it's going to be okay. And, you know, at six years old, that is not something, not a role that you should ever take on. And I don't know what, um, what caused me to do that. But I started to take on that role from there um, all the way up into adulthood today, uh, which is something I'm working on as well. But so when I was in the second grade, my teacher thought it was really weird that um, I, a little girl, wanted to like sit in my mom's lap and hold her hand and be around her uh, constantly. And so she suggested that I be tested for some things. And so I think from such an early age, I was told that I wasn't okay. I wasn't the person that I should be. Um, like, however God made me, it was not all right. And so I took that into adulthood. Um, and so we moved here when I was eight years old to be closer to my grandparents who were elderly and sick. And um, so it was just me, my mom, my dad, and my other brother. And, um, and I was a pretty mm, terrible child, um, I like to say. Um, I talked back. I was rebellious, um, constantly in trouble in school, just trying to get any attention possible, but mostly negative attention. Um, so I would just crack a joke on somebody or, you know, just whatever I could do in order to get some attention. Um, and I don't think that I was like lacking it at home. I'm not really sure like why that was the, what I like strived for at that time. Um, but I just wasn't okay. You know, ultimately I just was not okay. And what I was feeling, I didn't know how to um, properly uh, work through my emotions. And so it was just always like anger and, um, or laughter either I'm completely angry or if I, excuse me, if I get a, a reaction out of somebody and they're laughing, then I'm going to take that to the extreme, no matter yeah. like what cost it takes. Um, and so in, went to the, in middle school, I guess, my parents started to go through a divorce. Um, my dad, is one of us and he's been in and out of uh, the program pretty much my whole entire life. And, um, and so their divorce was pretty, um, it just, it wasn't really good. <laughs> um, you know, he, he was removed from the house um, by cops and like, I, I, I held them mostly till the end of high school and, uh, when I was a sophomore or a freshman, um, freshman, almost sophomore, my other brother died in a car accident. Um, and that one, that was really hard. Um, I, I feel like I felt that more because I was older. I had grown up with him. He was two years older than me. Um, we fought like cats and dogs, but like at the end of the day, um, that was my brother. Um, sorry. It's okay.
So that was when I was 15, almost 16. Um, life really changed drastically after that. Um, like I started driving a few months later and, um, you know, like all my friends' parents, I feel like just did not care about them, <laughs> did not care about them. Um, but my mom, like she wanted to know where I was every second when I would get places, when I would leave, like I was constant. I felt like I constantly had like a tracking device on me, but it was up to me to relay that information. And, um, it was really, it was really hard for me as a teenager because, you know, like I wanted to continue and I did, I did rebel and I would lie and, you know, not completely tell the truth of where I was or, you know, what time I actually left or, you know, whatever. Um, but it was very, it was just so hard because once again, I was different. I was in a different spot. I, um, I wasn't like the, like my other friends, like, you know, my friends are sneaking out and um, doing drugs and alcohol at that point, And I was not, um, I was so scared of everything, which is a tall tale. Like it's basically how I've lived my life is I've just been riddled with fear, like every, every day. Um, and so I, um, so yeah, like my friends are doing all that and I'm scared. Like I remember one time my friends are getting drunk and, um, I think we were like sophomores in high school or something. And I'm like sitting on the couch and I always tell this story cause I think it's so funny um now of course um because i'm like sitting on the couch crying like oh my god y'all are gonna be alcoholics and addicts and um and you know i'm like stone cold sober at this point and they're like shit face <laughs> excuse my language um but i just i think it's so funny because i'm the one who ends up in treatment and i'm mm -hmm. the one an actual alcoholic and an addict um yeah. so i always kind of look back at that but um so yeah, like I first time I used any substance um, as well as had sex, I was when I was 17. Um, it was like I call it my magical year. I experimented with a lot of things that year. Um, and you know, the first time I ever got drunk, I really enjoyed it. But um, I also I remember it like clear as day, as if it was yesterday. I um, twisted my knee. I was um, camping with some friends and finished off a six pack of something. And I can say I did not like walk away from it. And I'm like, yeah, like this will be my life. Um, however, when I first tried uh, marijuana, I did feel that way. But later on, graduate from high school, um, go to college reluctantly. I did not want to do that. Um, I only went because I needed health insurance and that was the way to keep it. Um, so I stayed in for about two and a half years. Um, my addiction at that point was like full blown. Um, I started dating this guy and at, before I was, before I started dating him, like I would smoke every now and then. And then when I started dating him, I just started smoking like every single day. Um, and I don't know. I was just like, you know, and then at some point during my college time, I was introduced to opiates and that, that was like, I had arrived, you know, I felt like I had finally, 
found something that would make me feel okay and cool and, you know, whatever. And so I'm, I took it to the absolute extreme for myself immediately. Um, you know, so yeah, I quit college, um, got a okay job, um, floated around for a little while. And then I got into my career today. Um, and that was in 2010 and God, like how terrible, I don't know how I kept my job to be honest. <laughs> like, um, I mean, from the get go, like I was in my first probably 90 days and it was the first time I ever felt, um, withdrawals. And so as the first time I felt it, I had like text an old coworker and I was like, Hey, like, what is this feeling? And she said, you're in withdrawals. And I was like, Oh, okay. Um, it was like dead winter. I had my heavy coat on inside. Um, it was not cold inside. And I just, you know, y'all know what withdrawals are, feel like. So it was awful. So I, from that point forward, I was like, I will never feel this way again. And I didn't. Even in treatment, um, I did not have the standard, you know, flu-like symptoms. Um, I instead had bone pain that I would never wish on anybody. Um so anyways, I, from that job, they like immediately, they're like, you know, I would do really, really good for a while. And then I would just fall off and do really bad. Um, and they're like, you know, what's wrong? Like, can we help you? And I'm like, I don't know. I think I just need like um, AD, ADHD medication. <laughs> so I was like, I'll fix it. I'll go to the doctor. And so I went to the doctor, got a script like we do. Um uh, eventually and was on that for a while. And it, it wasn't that it was my addiction, but I, there was no way that I could tell them like, Hey, I'm a, actually, I got this problem and that's, what's taking my attention. It's, you know, it's not, um, my ADD. So, um, about two years later, an opportunity, came up to start working from home. And I was like, oh, that's gonna, um, that's gonna like, that's my answer because then I can't, um, you know, like buy drugs, like drug dealers aren't gonna come to my house. Like this is, this is the answer. Like here, this is how I'm gonna stop or slow down. Um, like here it is. And so I started working from home in uh, June, 2012 definitely did the opposite of what I planned. Um, and I don't know about you or anybody else that's listening. Anytime I had a plan in active addiction, it never actually went exactly the way that I intended. It was always, you know, far left field. Um, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's so one, I have to say that's one area where I think we all like normal people, normies, don't get an adaptation like we do because uh, we have had to adapt, 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 lie about right. it and adapt some more. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, yeah, definitely, definitely can identify there. Yeah. Um, so that summer, um, I remember my friend, my like best friend had moved to Texas and then she came up and surprised me for my birthday. Um, and it was the first time that, she, or maybe first or second time that she really realized like how bad my addiction was. 
Um, and like, yeah, it, so she ended up like threatening our friendship and, um, like threatening to not be my friend anymore. And, um, which really hurt because I mean, this is somebody that I had known pretty much since she moved to Tennessee. She was basically my neighbor. And, um, but we had been friends, like really good friends since my freshman year of high school. And, um, so she had been through, you know, like when my brother died and, um, which is really sacred to me because not a lot of people know him and that I'm still close with today. And, you know, just to have a person outside your family to speak to or talk to about, about it, um, you know, who actually knew him. It's just, a, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but it really hurt. It really hurt when she started threatening me. And so, um, of course I turned and lied to her. I was like, Oh, I'll stop. I'll stop. You know, like, and I'm like talking to her on the phone, like, you know, this is my last one. And I just like picked up a bunch. Um, just trying to like settle her, like you said, like lie, adapt, settle other people's nerves. Um, like it's okay, don't worry. So, um, it important to point out, I think that you probably did this like the rest of us. Half the time, those words were genuine, and your plan was that this was going to be your last, like your your last amount that you were going to do or you were going to try and not buy anymore after today or whatever like you know like did that was that your experience as well that you were you know not in this scenario okay. <laughs> no i i really didn't really say that to many people i think i said it to myself i like tried a few times for myself like i'm gonna stop doing this opiate but i'm gonna continue to do this one and i would do real well until like I got a bonus at work and I needed to celebrate. And that was the way I would celebrate. Um, yeah. It was never like, cause you know, my mom didn't know that's what I was doing. Um, she, <clears throat> she found out in a really unconventional way, but um, so, so yeah, I do that. I try and sign up for low intensity outpatient, um, in Lebanon and that was that's a whole nother I don't know what I was thinking like I was going to take an hour off of work each night and try to um attend this one hour class once a week that was going to save my life and I was no longer going to be an addict <laughs> um so it, clearly it didn't work out um and then my mom I think it was in like September late September someone called her uh, from a block number, definitely my guardian angel. And, um, well, I can say that today, but at the time I did not think that at all. Um, and just told her what I was doing and basically I was killing myself. Um, and, um, just pretty much just laid out everything, I, how I'd been living. Um, and I immediately, I was like, it was this person. It was my best friend. Like she did it. Um, and so I called her at like four o'clock in the morning and let her have it. And still of to course. this day, she's right. Like nobody's like sleeping. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I like, I mean, like I said, to this day, she says that she wasn't, she isn't the person, but um, maybe she isn't, you know, maybe somebody just a true angel, like called my mom and let her know. Um, Cause I really wanted to tell her, like I, 
but I had so much fear because like she lived with my dad and my, and my dad's addiction for so long. And I didn't want to be just like another person, like another obstacle for her to deal with. Um, I wanted to be this like perfect child, which I'd never lived up to at all. (laughs) Like I was far from that, um, my whole life, but I just didn't want her to have to deal with it. So anyways, she found out, um, she's like, you know, you have to go to treatment. And I'm like, yep, I, I do. I want it. You know, I really wanted help. I just didn't know how to ask for it. Um, she's like, you need to tell your dad. And I'm like, all right. So I called my dad and, um, I told him, I was like, and he, I think he suspected it for a long time. And the thing about my dad and which I'm really grateful for is that even though he suspected I had a problem. He never was like, you need to do this. He's, he was always like, if you need help or, or you anything, if you ever need anything, I'm here. And so it made it a lot easier to go to him when I did officially need help um, in order to get it because it wasn't, you know, um, for someone who probably has never been in Al-Anon, <laughs> he uh, drew a decent boundary, I believe. Um, so yeah, so I ended up in treatment in October, 2012. My Friday today is October 16th, 2012. Um, I stayed, I went to Cumberland Heights for 30 days. Um, I was very defiant and did not, uh, do anything that I was supposed to do there. Finally, they were just like, leave, um, just promise that you'll finish IOP. And I said, okay, I, I can do that. I can do IOP. And so I went to five weeks of intake and uh, five weeks of IOP in Hermitage. Um, as soon as I finished that, I went back to the office to work. Excuse me. Um, I could not handle the work from home. It was awful. I don't know why I ever thought it was a good idea. Excuse me. Um, so um, my boss, I did tell my boss about, um, about what was going on and, um, and she's still my boss today, even though I've switched jobs and I'm really grateful for her and that relationship because she like immediately, she was just like, Jericho, why didn't you tell me? And I'm like, um, how do you tell your boss that you're like getting high at work? You know, <laughs> um, I don't think that's the first thing. Thing. Yeah, it's not the first thing you're thinking of. Right. It's like, hey, by the way, um, yeah, no, not not trying to lose my job. Um, But this is a but she is definitely like seen my potential and continued to um, help me grow in my profession. Um, So, yeah, so I got a sponsor soon after treatment. Um, Another thing I didn't do. Um, and have had to learn the hard way is uh, taking suggestions. And when I was in treatment, you know, they're like, get a sponsor, do this, do this. Like, here's the suggestion, suggestion. And I'm like, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Um, I got this. I'm, you know, basically unique and I'm going to be able to do this on my own. And um, which anybody that's listening or (laughs) knows me, remembers that part of me. (laughs) Uh, My ego was so big when I left and I had one phone number and, um, and I used it eventually. Um, I just had this mentality that I was like at summer camp when I was in treatment because I was 24. I was young. 
Um, I was getting short-term disability. I'd never experienced anything like that before. And so I was getting paid basically to sit in treatment, you know, for 30 days. And it was, um, I just didn't know how to take it seriously. Um, and I guess my mentality, ultimately, I'm like still like between 15 and 17 years old. So I don't know really how to handle anything um, with an adult mentality. So, um, so yeah, I finished treatment, um, finally get a sponsor. I start getting into service work, um, by going back to the treatment on Friday nights and Saturday nights at the time and, um, taking meetings out there. Um, so I get my first sponsor. I work like a couple steps with her and, uh, decided that we should just be friends and, um, got another sponsor, worked one step with her. Um, <laughs> and then, um, uh, decided that we should just be friends and I got another sponsor. So I did this. I like did the one, two, three waltz. And, um, and finally I landed on somebody that I was like, okay, like, yeah, I'll, I'll stick with you for a while. Um, and it was really hard, you know, what it took for me to get vulnerable and really, um, like connect with some, with her, I just had to cry in front of her because I hate crying in front of people clearly because I'm having trouble doing it on uh, this live broadcast. But um, that, that ultimately was how I was able to connect with her. And I worked um, the first nine steps with her and then um, left and then ended up coming back and finishing um, the full 12 with her. Um, and since then, I've changed sponsors um, a couple times, but <clears throat> um, I don't know, like the, I wanted to touch base on some of the steps um, that I worked. I had to like make a couple notes last night, so I wouldn't forget these. Um, so the first time I ever worked the uh, fourth and fifth step, of course, I took forever, just like, you know, like you do, everybody talks about it in meetings and freaks you out. And, um, and I still, to this day, whenever I work like a full detailed fourth and fifth step, I always take forever, but that's just because I have zero time management, um, skills, but I, um, so I took forever dredging up the past and like really trying to, um, do, you know, a thorough inventory on myself and, um, and then after I get done, my sponsor hands me this character defects list. And I'm like, uh, well, first off, I didn't think that I was supposed to get it. So I was upset about that. And she said, she was like, here's what you are. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Mm -mm. That's not me. That's, you know, my dad, <laughs> for instance. And so um, <laughs> I was like, how am I, you know, how am I ever going to change these? Like, what, how do I, how do I do this? And she's like, yeah you know, it'll come just, you know, ask for God's help. And I'm like, okay. So I carried that list around for a while. And, um, one of the things when I first got sober, I was very angry and I, I was still that same person that I was when I was little, you know, like I was still mean, I was a bully. Um, I was still searching for happiness and I didn't know how to get it except for when I hurt others. And, um, and I did that to my sponsor without knowing it. And that was the first time the awareness came like, well, 
not immediately because I didn't realize it, but um, she brought it to my attention. And that was kind of the shift that I had that I was like, oh, like, so I've like really hurt somebody at this point, somebody that I love and I care for. Um, and so that was kind of the shift for me. And I don't know at what point that was in my sobriety, but um, I wasn't too far along. But um, so she so I started working on that, like not to be that mean person, not to um, get my five seconds of happiness by hurting you. And um, so um, I can I started to work on that list. Um, trying to gain awareness whenever I started to act on those defects. And obviously I'm not perfect today. I still can be um, all of those mean things, <laughs> but, um, but now I'm aware of it. And if I, if I do it, I can make amends. Um, but I continue to, you know, ask for God's help each day. Um, when I remember I'm not a perfect prayer at all um, prayer person. Um, but at night I'm, I'm good at doing that. Um, so that's something I'm I'm actively working on right now. You know, with the higher power, when I first came into this program, I um, the first time I ever worked um, two and three, um, my I was in treatment, and you know they give you this like um, printout, and they're like, fill this out. Like, what's what is your higher power? And I'm like, dude, me and Jesus, we're like brother and sister. Like, I got this. Like, we're good. I don't even need this step. Um, like, I don't even know what you're trying to teach me. You know? um, and so clearly I had a false um, idea of what it all was. And um, that has changed drastically um, since I've been sober. And like today, I've learned that I over um, overthink things. I don't know if you can relate to that. Um, and yes, like yes. I overthink myself out of happiness. Um, I overthink what uh, what God should be. Um, and so since I've been in therapy, especially like one of the things that they've suggested for me is um, to openly speak to God or whatever, and um, say everything that's on my mind. <clears throat> and so that's something that I've been doing, like not censoring myself. And, you know, if I'm upset, like let it, let that entity know um, what I'm upset about or hurt or what I don't like about myself or whatever. And it's really opened my eyes. Like I don't feel as stupid when I pray um, and I feel um a little more connected like each time. Um, so yeah, so step, it's definitely um, changed over time. Um, <clears throat> and then just as of recently, like kind of with all the stuff that's been going on, um, you know, the pandemic and all that, um, something that has really stood out for myself is that like, you know, I mentioned that I've been riddled with fear, like my whole entire life. And, um, you know, I, I don't know, like during this whole 
thing. Like I've been so filled with peace and serenity. And I, I was, you know, thinking about this last night, um, about like the ninth step promises and we recite them, you know, in our meetings and, um, and I never really actually think about it like really in detail. And so I pulled it up last night and I was reading it. And, um, in the first one, like the first part was freedom and happiness. And, um, I have the freedom from alcohol and drugs today, but, um, the freedom from fear and which is like, I can't even explain to you like how, um, how much of a big deal that is for me that I don't have that today, especially during this uh, pandemic and everything. Um, and then um, peace and serenity, which I mentioned, I, you know, definitely overthink my way out of that all the time. Like I'll be feeling it and I'm like, but, but am I, but am I feeling it? Like maybe there's something wrong that I'm not acknowledging and I need to, um, you know, I need to like figure it out. And so um, I've been, that's one of the things that I've been working on, like while being home more often, not being able to, you know, go to outside meetings and attending the um, the on, online ones is just really accepting where I am, like accepting the fact that I do feel peace and I do have this serenity and it's okay. Like I don't need to, be um, anxious and um, angry or fearful or whatever. Like, it's okay. Like, whatever God is doing in my life, like, it's all right. Um, and just being accepting of that. Another one um, is uh, fear of economic insecurity. And uh. I know you, I know you especially know um, that I have lived with that and I don't today like um I'm set I've continued to be taken care of um this whole time I have a good job um I live by myself I'm able to take care of bills and save and still take vacations and stuff like that and that's just it's when I mean even when we live together you know like I was a penny pincher um I like couldn't deal with any like bill being higher than what I thought it should be. And just, um, very, um, stingy, I guess. And today I do not live that way. And it, it's just, it's all because of the program and the steps and my sponsor and the guidance from my fellows that I'm able to actually live that way today. Like, I really don't think that anything that I have done has allowed that. Um, and then, um, and I guess that kind of feeds over into uh, handling situations which used to baffle us. That is a huge one um, that I'm able to do today. Um, and then recognizing that um, God, is, God has done it all and it's not been me. And that's something that I've really struggled with to um, really give the, like, being thankful to God and... Um, being able to recognize that I haven't done this by myself. Um, mm -hmm. I want to take that power back all the time. And, you know, like it was me. It's all been, it's always been me. Um, 
but it hasn't. Like I, I know today I would not be alive if it wasn't for God um, or higher power or whatever. Um, you know, just just really giving over that, uh, like, for lack of a better word, glory, like that thankfulness. Um, but yeah, so I, um, yeah, so I'm, I have definitely not worked a perfect program by any means. Um, but I continue to show up and that is, that's been something that I was talking to a friend last night and she, um, or the other night and she was like, there's one thing about you, you know, like when you first came around, you were terrible. Um, and then, but you continue to show up. And so we were just like, okay, like here she is. She continues hold on, hold to on. When you first came around, you were, um, you know, terrible. terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I have to say, Jerrica, I love that because, you know, we became friends when you first came around and I grew to love the person who you were, even when you were terrible. <laughs> <laughs> That transformation has been one of my favorites to watch over my time in recovery as well, because your high power has done an amazing transformation in you. So I just wanted to say that. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, I wish people really could see like the black and white of it. Um, mm. You know, how, how much it, how, how much I have um, changed. I mean, I definitely see it. Um, but some of the viewers don't know me like that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I think that's it. Awesome. Well, um, wow. I have to say you, uh, you tell your story very well and I feel like you've, um, uh, I don't know. I just feel like you've, um, conveyed like a lot of of what happened, what it was like, and what it's like now, like in a, in a very like uh, thoughtful way. Um, and I appreciate that. I try and, you know, when I'm listening to stories, put myself in, in the shoes of somebody who isn't, you know, hasn't been through everything we have yet. That's hearing, you know, hearing a recovery story potentially for the first time and what have you. Um, and so anyway, I just, I think it's um, important and special when people have taken the time to thoughtfully lay out their story, you know, so that they can communicate it in, in a way that that is, um, you know, people can cling on to and follow along with and what have you. Because I don't know if you, you were like this when you first got sober or even right before you got sober, but like, like my, well, you were just talking about your attention span was crap. Mine was as well. I mean, I had people made fun made fun of me in meetings because I had a backpack full of markers and I would like turn my 12-step book and my big book into an art project like the whole time, you know? Um, but it was the only way I could listen. And so um so anyway, I just wanted to say that I appreciate the thought you put into conveying your story because it's apparent that you had, you know, you've you've worked on that and and it's um gonna help somebody or people i know it will so uh thanks again yeah i was gonna say um about my attention span it's not any better today but um i was talking <laughs> yeah. to my sponsor the other day and i was like man i just really don't know about these online meetings because i have such a hard time paying attention in a regular one hour meeting in person and she said something to the effect of um a half a loaf of bread is better than no bread and i'm like oh 
Okay. <laughs> I was like, all right, I'll give it a try. And uh, That's a great I've, point. Yeah, and I've only done two so far, but um, the second one I paid more attention than the first one. So I'm going to keep, keep coming back and keep trying it. Awesome. Well, I just, <clears throat> to close things out, um, thanks for everybody watching. If you know anybody who could benefit from this story, please share it with them. Um, you can share directly through Facebook or um, click share and find the link. Uh, it'll stay up up here indefinitely for you to use as a resource later. And um, if you or anybody you know is in need of help right now um, for any of the things we're talking about at the bottom of the screen, um, I hope that you will reach out and uh, ask for the help that's needed because uh, we're here to help you. So, Jerrica, thank you again for your time today. Thanks for everybody watching. And I hope you all take care of yourselves. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. For more information on today's episode, check out the show notes. Recovery Stories is brought to you by Promises Behavioral Health's Rooted Alumni Community. If you or a loved one are struggling, have questions, or ready to take the next step, call our admission center at 877-351-7504 or visit us online at www.promisesbehavioralhealth.com. Our team is ready and waiting to answer the call for help. Whether you're watching on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please share with your friends. Follow, subscribe, and leave us a review. We are grateful for you and hope that you have been encouraged by today's episode. As always, remember you are only one decision away from a completely different life, and it is never too late to start loving yourself.